0: Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I am the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. Today, I'm introducing the editors of our five newspapers. We have Bob Dumas, who is the editor of Mayapac News. We have Brian Marshauser, who is the editor of the Yorktown News and the Katona Pro Times. And we have Tom Waligorski, who is the editor of the Somers Record and North Salem News. And I almost messed that up with Brian, because Brian has been with us for you know a very long time and has held a number of editorships of various newspapers He had several different roles. He was the sports editor for a year. And so, you know, Brian jumps in wherever we need him and he's done an awesome job. So, so anyway, um, I failed miserably in my prediction last episode. I said that Cuomo wasn't going to resign and he's resigned a few days later. I had a great interview in my other episode this week with Assemblyman Kevin Byrne, who is still pushing for the Assembly to complete its investigation and make it public. He feels strongly that the nursing home scandal should not be buried under the rug, as there were at least, and I believe he said this, at least 1,000 people who were unnecessarily exposed and died from COVID. I believe he said that number was probably much larger, but 1,000 was a safe number to confirm that that definitely happened. I know that's not hyper local, which is our you know, mission of Halston Media, which is the owner of this podcast. But just quick go around. Uh, do you guys have any predictions about where this is all going? And specifically, is Cuomo going to be indicted? Okay. Well, yeah, I am a little unprepared. I didn't know. Okay. You were <laughs> oh, sorry, I apologize. <laughs> all right.
1: <laughs> well, I think we're all kind of scrambling because nobody thought that he was actually really going to step down over this. So uh, I feel like we're we're kind of in uncharted territory. I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know it really took me by surprise. And it also came at a very inopportune time in our publishing schedule, which, you know, the, the nature of the beast here. But
0: We had that on the front page of, what was it, the Katona Lewisborough Times and Somers Record saying that people are calling for his resignation. And uh, to explain to our listeners what Tom just said, We go to press on Monday afternoons and Tuesday afternoons between our five newspapers. And that's the challenge of a weekly newspaper is uh, things can happen between the time we go to press and when it hits people's mailboxes. And it kind of looks like we have egg in our face, but it's not, you know, that's just the nature of the beast, unfortunately. That's the beauty of our websites, by the way. Technically, that headline is still
2: true. They did still call for his resignation. But yeah, it looks a little outdated after he... uh, did say he was going to resign. Usually I have a little more foresight than that. But I think that just kind of speaks to how stunned I am that he resigned, especially so quickly. I thought he would drag this out and make a fight of it. And to see all these tweets are coming in saying, oh my God, it's happening. I couldn't believe it. I was a little taken aback. And my prediction was very wrong as well. So maybe I'll stop making predictions here. Usually I have a little more foresight than that. I've gotten in trouble before where we've gone to press on a Tuesday before a board meeting. And I said, the town board is expected to do this. And they did not do that. So I learned from then to stop saying that. (laughs) I I was (laughs)
3: surprised, but at the same time, not so surprised. Because when stuff like this happens and there's been scandals, since the beginning of time they're usually split down party lines like if you go back to nick but this one really wasn't there was a lot of pressure for democrats for him to step down and i think that ultimately is kind of why it happened the way it did like if you go even back to nixon you know he was receiving a lot of pressure from republicans to step down so he did so when it's partisan and it's split down party lines, usually these things drag out. But he had so much pressure from his own party. I think that's ultimately what resulted in what we saw last week. You know,
0: I think it also sort, sort of speaks a little bit to, you know, and I want to be careful saying this because, you know, I, I'm not totally uh, in the loop with New York state politics, but you know, it seems to be a little bit of a civil war going on between the Democrat Party in the state of New York, between the progressives and the moderates. I know Hokel, I think I'm pronouncing her name correctly, is considered a moderate. And I guess everyone's talking about Attorney General Letitia James running from the left. You know, there's definitely some internal
3: politics going on as well with all this. Same thing on the national level, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I actually, I wanted to ask each of you today um, where our school districts are at in terms of mask mandates. I know there's a movement among parents to unmask the kids. And anytime I see, you know, on social media, People talking about that, you know, I, I see an equal pushback from parents saying, you know, what are you crazy? We're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, children's hospitals are actually filling up with COVID patients, which is scary as well. You know, scary for me as a parent to see that happening. Just curious where our school districts are at. Or, you know, is this movement to unmask kids gaining any traction? You know, what's going on there? And I guess, Bob, I'll start with you with that.
3: There's been not a lot of movement one way or the other from the Mayapac School District at this juncture. There's a school board meeting tonight, and I am having an interview tomorrow with the superintendent and one of the assistant superintendents on a couple of different subjects. They are waiting to hear from the Department of Education as far as guidance is concerned, and the DOE is supposed to, the State Department of Education is supposed to release information this afternoon, so we're waiting to hear from that. But tying back into what you said about Cuomo's resignation, they also believe that when Hochul takes over in what, like 11 days or something, that the gut feeling is that she's going to issue a statewide mask mandate. That's nothing official. That's just their feeling of what she's going to do. So everybody's kind of in on, on hold until the DOE and the future governor, Say, you know, what's going to have to happen. And they're just going to do what they're told to do. And so I'll know more after I speak to Anthony DiCarlo, the superintendent, tomorrow.
0: And I want to point out we're recording this on August 12th. I did interview Assemblymember and I said earlier in the episode on August 11th. His take on it, it's interesting. He he ran uh, an op ed in our newspapers about why he got vaccinated. So, you know, he's definitely a proponent of vaccines. His take on, um, you know, masks. He feels strongly about local control that each school district should be able to have control over that. And you know, if one school district has more parents saying, "Hey, you know, we got to mask our kids," great. You know, if another school district feels like that it's not necessary, he you know he thinks they should have that kind of control also. So we'll see what happens. Bob, actually, I want I just want to go back to you um, real quick. Mm-hmm. You've been public about this on in May, PAC News, so I just want to you know ask you if you can give us you know a little update on your health. But also, if you can share your experience with getting your second vaccine, you had a pretty funny little um, anecdote. Oh, oh, what I wrote about
3: on Facebook yesterday with with my fellow vaccinators? Yeah, so if you can share that, uh, yeah. Okay, well, I got my second COVID vaccine yesterday at CVS Pharmacy. I feel pretty good today. I'm a little draggy, a little more tired than normal. I'm always tired in the wake of my heart surgery, but it was a little more intense this morning, but I'm bouncing back. But yeah, yesterday, so I went in, I had a one o'clock appointment, and as I sat down to wait for the pharmacist to come over and give me my shot, there was a couple other people there, and I'll give the quick version of this. So this one guy uh, came in, he was in his mid-40s, I'm guessing. He had a sister with him, not sure why. The only reason I know it was his sister is because I heard him tell the pharmacist that. And he was being very vocal, very agitated, saying that he was being coerced into getting the shot and he would prefer not to, but he was under a lot of pressure. He didn't say who was coercing him and the reason why he didn't want to get the shot. And so... There was another woman there, too, that was also there to get her shot. And so she was very sympathetic with him. She said she felt coerced as well. They started discussing it, and they were saying they believed that the shot didn't really work. It hadn't been tested enough. The guy said he had read online that this was part of a government plot, that the shot actually gave you COVID and made you sick and was killing millions of people in a government effort to reduce global population because the world was getting overcrowded and this was the government solution to kill people with this shot and you could tell he he really really believed this just by the tone of his voice and the look on his face and so i moved over a couple seats at that point the <laughs> best the best part was he had also read that in some cases the shot could turn you into kind of like a zombie, like you see on um, the show, The Walking Dead, like I wrote on Facebook at that point, QAnon people were walking by and saying, stay away from this guy. He's crazy. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, you read about this stuff online, but to be like actually around it and see people talk about it in real life was astounding. And, so- and, and
0: listen, I, I'm sympathetic without a doubt to people who have hesitation. I personally believe is a, a personal choice. But to hear someone say that it's going to turn you into a zombie and, you know, it's about population control. I I think that's crazy (laughs) as well. So, well, millions
3: and millions and millions of people have been vaccinated and that hasn't happened to anybody yet. So nobody's died from the shot. Nobody's, you know, ate anybody's brains yet. So I didn't know, you know, my instinct was to jump in and start an argument with the guy. But like I said, I. Because of who I am, I just kept my mouth shut, and I I did move down a couple of seats away from the <laughs> whole thing. Uh, I, uh, I wasn't kidding when I said that. I said, "Oh boy," you know. It, and then I got my shot and got the heck out of there.
0: So then, uh, I'm going to turn to um, Brian and Tom in terms of the uh, mask mandate with their schools. I mean, I, you know, Bob updated us about you know what the state's up to, but just you know the local districts. I'm curious about.
2: Yeah. So I just got off the phone with Dr. Ron Hatter, who's the superintendent of Yorktown Schools. He basically told me what Bob said. Yorktown hasn't made any sort of determination because they're awaiting guidance from both the county health department and the state education department. He says that guidance is forthcoming. That's what they've been told. Who knows when exactly, but they are pretty much at their mercy. Whatever they say,
0: that's what they'll do. And I know that. Is that law? Is that something? Must they follow what the state says? Is it guidance or is it a mandate? That's a good question.
3: They keep using the word guidance with me. So they're yeah. waiting for quote-unquote guidance. Okay. So, so
2: i have to research that more for sure. But I know that in speaking with the Yorktown superintendent, he was basically saying that a lot of it has to do with quarantine in the sense that I guess if there is an outbreak in a class, one or two kids gets COVID-19, they have to quarantine less of the classroom if they're masked. Sure. And they're trying to keep as many kids in the classroom as possible. And Lakeland superintendent, Dr. Brennan Lyons, also released a statement last night Where he basically said that, said as much as Dr. Hatter just said, Yorktown superintendent, where he said, at this time, we continue to plan for all students to attend school in person five days a week for a full school day. And then he said, our goal is to minimize illness and resulting quarantines. So you could read between the lines and say they want to keep kids in the class five days a week. They want to minimize illness and the quarantines. So it kind of sounds like masks. But then again, like I said, with Cuomo, I'm not making any more predictions. Mm -hmm. But it does kind of sound like that's the way they're heading. Interestingly enough, and Katona, by the way, is the same way. Tom Bartley, our reporter for Katona, just got up to school district with the superintendent over there. He said the same thing that, you know, they're just awaiting the guidance. So interestingly enough, though, some of our towns, at least my town, I think Yorktown is one of the only ones that has reinstituted a mask mandate for town buildings. Oh, interesting. All public facing employees, all visitors to town hall have to wear masks regardless of vaccination status. Although... Interestingly enough, at the town board meeting two nights ago held a town hall. Two council members openly disregarding that rule and not wearing masks at the dais. So it will be a contentious issue. No matter what the school says, no matter what the town says, I think people will be defiant on this. So it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. And, you know, I think people feel really passionate about this.
3: Yeah. If I can just jump in and uh, related to that, Brian, is when I went to get my vaccine, there's a big sign in the front of CBS, you know, must wear a mask to enter. And I got in there. I think I was the only one other than employees wearing a mask. So they weren't enforcing it. But Yeah,
2: it's when I was the sports editor last year and I was covering all these games you know, they had to wear masks. It was kind of a joke because the kids' masks were down at their necks the whole games. They never actually wore them. So, I mean, it really comes down to a matter of enforcement. I mean, they can have all the policies in place they want, but it's it's all about enforcement. People just openly flout these
0: rules. Some of it's not based on science. It's just based on, I don't even know what it's based on. It's just some bizarre rules. So, My seven-year-old son was in the soccer league last year in the town we live in, Connecticut. And in order to walk from the parking lot To the soccer field, you had to wear a mask. But once you were at the soccer field, I think they said the parents still had to wear masks, but nobody did at that point because they only got in trouble from the walk. The kids had to wear masks while walking to the soccer field. But once playing, you know, they can take their masks off, which makes absolutely no sense because if you're going to spread it, they're breathing on top of each other as they're kicking the ball, especially seven year olds because they play by just everyone runs after the ball together so it made no sense
3: well that was like the nba brian right this past year they had to wear masks while they're sitting on the bench but they're out there playing without masks and after the game they're like yeah they're hugging yeah (laughs)
2: yeah and as soon as they get in the locker room they take the masks yeah it's It's it's, all for a little little bit for show it's all theater yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah.
0: i mean i think some of it's also i mean i think some of it even like in restaurants and stuff like that I i think some of it is theater you know especially at the height of the pandemic, people wanted to make people feel comfortable and masks made people feel comfortable.
2: Well, that's Um, the same thing with we keep going through this where they're really deep cleaning surfaces and they make a point of saying that, even though I believe that doctors are now saying that's not how it spreads surface. So that's a bit of theater as well to make people feel comfortable. So I guess whatever works. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tom, I know that uh, North Salem superintendent, Dr. Freeston is uh, on vacation. A well-earned vacation. I know you have, I guess, an update about Somers.
1: Actually, um, you know, after after we spoke before, I do I do have a little bit of a North Salem update. I mean, again, the uh, both of my towns, Somers and North Salem, both uh, fall into the same, uh, you know, waiting for guidance thing, which I think is is just kind of the norm for a lot of districts. But um, as far as North Salem goes, there was a statement uh, from this week in the weekly message from uh, Principal Vince Grandi from the middle school high school. And he said that they're currently, as of now, planning on following the CDC regulations that all teachers and staff and students will need to be masked. But also in the same message said that they'll be waiting for updates and you know, we'll adjust accordingly as, you know, as we move closer to the beginning of the school year. I also had a very long uh, interview with uh, Denise Kiernan, the athletic director for North Salem schools last week. And she kind of gave a, an interesting perspective on it from just the athletics to piggyback off what Brian and Bob were just talking about. Just saying uh, what's going to happen with district athletics going forward with the mask mandates. And again, there's n- been nothing officially decided yet, but just she hopes that they'll be able to follow the same regulations that the student athletes were following back in June. It's just they're dealing with a, a different situation, though, because in addition to playing at home, they have to also incorporate away games where you're going to be interacting with students from other districts and you know other officials and other you know other people. So it's it's a lot trickier of a situation. So but it's it's definitely more of a, a kind of wait and see thing with the athletics. As far as Somers goes, they're waiting for More guidance and everything from the uh, state education department, which hopefully will come next week. There's actually board of education meetings in both towns, North Salem and Somers next week. So hopefully we'll have because, you know, we're only a a few weeks away from school starting here. So hopefully we'll have more of an official update on the mask mandates for next week.
0: All right. Thank you very much for the update. And uh, now I just want to go to see, you know, if anyone has something to add in terms of what anything big happening in their towns um, that they're working on or focusing on for this coming week? I might have some good column fodder because I lost my wallet last night
2: at the gas station. No, no. You still uh, haven't found it. It has not turned
0: up. So I think
2: I got good column fodder there about... I just am... uh, This always seems to keep happening. Keeps happening to me. It's just a trend for me. I'm a very clumsy person, very forgetful person. So... No surprise there. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to turn up at this point.
0: What's weird, Brian, is that professionally, I, your personality is the opposite. You seem you know, pretty buttoned up <laughs> and with professionally. So I'm, I am surprised about that on a personal level for you. I think it's because I'm just, I'm always thinking about something else. The next story
2: I have to do, the next uh, thing I have to do, I'm never quite in the moment paying attention to where I'm putting my wallet if I'm <laughs> leaving it on the top of my car. Yeah. Or who knows? We'll tackle that in a column next week. But yeah, other, other than that, I do have some interviews this week. I actually interviewed my brother, who is a salesman at Bill Bowles, Westchester, They Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge. Interesting story. I'm trying to get some more dealerships into the fold as well. But basically, there is a car shortage at the moment, or more specifically, a semiconductor shortage, just globally, that's affecting car dealerships massively. That controls the computer
0: chips in the, in the cars. Right.
2: So what, I, what I asked my brother was, I said, why do they need computer chips? He goes, everything's digital now. He goes, they have all these digital dashboards. They're pedometers, odometers, GPS navigation systems. Everything is based on these superconductors, these tiny nanometer chips affecting these uh, two, three ton vehicles. A lot of them are built and ready to go, but they just don't have the chip. So they're just these, they can't drive them off the lots. They can't sell them. So, it's a big problem for a lot of car dealerships. I know Ford specifically is getting hammered, General Motors. So, it's an interesting story. But conversely, the used car market is on fire now just because of this. So, you can't really negotiate prices down on new cars anymore. You know, when, when supply is outpacing demand, or I guess the other way around, demand is outpacing supply. But conversely, you can get a lot more on your trade in. Now, you can negotiate a much higher price on your trade in. So my brother basically said, this is the worst time to buy a car if you're not trading in. Some interesting info. So I think that's good for our local readers to know. And uh, I'll I'll get that in next week's paper. It could be a nice regional story for all of us. Great. Thanks, Brian. Tom?
1: big, big story for us this week, and it's going to be the big story for this week, and it's definitely going to be an ongoing thing, was the, um, the status of the Vox or, or former Vox restaurant in North Salem. This, uh, this story had a couple different developments, uh, you know, a few little twists and turns there. But um, basically, Vox was a, uh, a French restaurant in North Salem that closed in 2019, and it was a very, very popular spot in the community, as, uh, you know, as I learned. And the first thing that happened was there was um, a fire department activity at the site one day. And this was something that I heard about from many of our readers, people in the community. Um, once social media got a hold of it, that was, that was interesting. But um, the fire department was there and there was nothing wrong. They had actually been given um, permission by the owners by the, of the property to perform fire department drills there. So there was no emergency or anything. And then a few days later, there was construction equipment there, basically demolishing about 75% of the building and it's because the owners are doing a big renovation they want to you know redo the restaurant and make it something really special for the community but when they after they got all the approvals and everything they found out that there was actually a lot more structural damage than was originally thought so to kind of necessitate everything they had to take down a, a large portion of the building before they can build everything back up again but it was just great to see the just the level of concern from the community there just for one of their you know one of their restaurants and just from people that i spoke with a lot of people had a lot of history there and it just sort of, you know, made me think about the, you know, every, every town has them. Everybody has their favorite places and everything. And just, the, you know, the special little place that, you know, restaurants and eateries hold them, you know, holding the community. So it was, uh, it was interesting to see, especially that the story went through a couple of developments there and yeah, we'll definitely be providing updates on, you know, on the property and the plans for the future and everything. It's going to be interesting to see how that develops.
3: Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. And Bob, a couple of interesting things came out of a town board meeting last night that I'll be working on. And, um, you know, we don't cover county politics, at least intensely. We, we do a little bit, but it's no secret that the Democratic Sheriff Langley and the Republican legislature have been at loggerheads. Ever since he was elected, there's been arguments over his budget and so forth. They've cut it here and there. And depending on who you ask, uh, the reasons why. But part of that has resulted in the sheriff's department having to stop its patrols of Lake Mayapak. They've always handled that. Mayapack is more crowded than ever with boats and and recreational vehicles and, and things of that nature. And so the Carmel PD has had to kind of pick up the slack. They do have a patrol boat, but it's on its last leg. So last night they were discussing they have to buy a new one. And these things aren't cheap. So they were discussing how to do that. And so that means the local budget has to take a hit thanks to the bickering going on at the county level. And if they're going to order a new boat because the old one, they'd like to just put a new engine on the old one and use that as a backup and then get a brand new one so they could have two. But you know how it's going to be paid for, they're going to use some grant money and they need to do it quick because these boats are customized and can take. So even if they order it like tomorrow, they might not get it until late summer next year, which is concerning.
0: I assume they're not buying the boat from uh, Maypack Marina.
3: No, 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 no. These are... um, It could uh,
0: be part of any upcoming settlement with the lawsuit.
3: (laughs) No, it's not the type of boats that they sell over there. This is something called a Boston Whaler or something like that. And they're heavily customized for law enforcement. And they have certain types of engines and that sort of thing. And they ain't cheap, you know. And what they're trying to do is use these different grants and things like that so they can reduce the cost down so it's equivalent to a patrol car, which they have in their budget, you know. So we'll know more over the next week or so they want to vote on at next week's meeting. So the chief of police is trying to get all the figures in a row. He was there last night explaining the whole situation, there was a lot of bickering amongst the board members as usual about this but it sounds like they're gonna they're gonna get a new boat <laughs> and uh and then the other thing is it's no secret that mayapac carmel's infrastructure it is a mess their sewage their water and all that sort of thing it's like 100 years old mayapac carmel has water districts And each district is treated differently and has its own unique problems. And when repairs are made, the taxes go to only that particular district. And what they're trying to do right now is revamp all these water towers in the various districts. And this has been going on for a couple of years now. And they were moving along fine, getting prices and figuring it all out. Then the pandemic hit and everything got put on the back burner. And now they're revamping it up again. But like Brian was Talking about with cars, you know, the prices of everything has gone up. And now, this whole project of revamping these water towers, in some cases, it's relining them. In other cases, it's tearing down the old ones and building new ones. Whatever they're going to do, it's going to cost now about a million dollars more than it was a year ago. So, they're again, they're scrambling to figure out where they're going to get the money for that. You know,
0: I'm assuming taxes.
3: Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and it'll impact the specific water districts. It won't be a townwide thing. So whatever repairs are being made in that particular water district, you know, I would suggest to them that a marijuana dispensary would help a long way <laughs> towards that. But they didn't ask for my opinion. So,
0: so I moved from Carmel to uh, a town in Connecticut, and I will say that I do, I really miss my water district. I had to pay the water bill, I think it was quarterly or something like that in Carmel. And I miss my water district because I live on a well. And for whatever bizarre reason this summer, my water pressure is horrible to the point where I'm really stressed out about it. It, A couple of times it's been pretty scary.
3: Yeah, here in Carmel, I'm not in a water district where I live. We have a well and it's a double-edged sword because the water is delicious. It's much better than I think in the water districts where they are always having issues with brown water, icky water, but here the water is delicious, but you're right, Brett, the pressure, you know, when I go to take a shower, you know, it takes me 20 minutes to get the soap out of my, what hair I have left. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it's a trade off. Yeah, <laughs> the, the water, the water's is great. It's clear. It's better than bottled water as far as, uh, drinkability, but, pressure stinks you know? yeah, cool. yeah
0: well gentlemen i want to thank you for uh for updating our, our towns and our listeners uh, on uh what's going on and uh i appreciate it and uh, i'm really enjoying this so hopefully we'll continue to make this a regular conversation sounds Thanks,
1: good,
3: sounds all, good. Right. all right guys good to all see right. everybody I'm to gentlemen, always uh, always a pleasure guys all right ciao